Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Graham Laborde from Killen's Restaurants coming up in a little bit, but first, I am joined this week by Stephanie Gary, producer and reporter for Houston Life, the TV show on KPRC every day at one o'clock. Stephanie, welcome back. How are you? I am well, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to talk about food and uh, all the crazy, exciting things that have been going on in Houston lately. It is it it is a crazy, exciting time, and I know this is a food show, and we're going to talk about restaurants here in a minute. But I I just feel like I feel compelled to acknowledge the fact that the Astros just won the World Series. I think that's that's a good mention to make. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've been an Astros fan since 1986 when they went to the playoffs when Mike Scott was throwing scuffed up uh, split-finger fastballs to the Mets. And I, I know that, I, I know like most Astros fans, I've had my heart broken any number of times mm-hmm. since then. I kept watching Game 7. They jumped out to that lead. It just felt too good to be true. Uh, I, I watched that so whole good. game waiting for them to screw it up. But they didn't screw it up. They it's like sure the, it's didn't. Like, no, they won the whole thing, and they've been, I mean, did SNL you, and Disney World and everything else. Did you cry like Carlos Beltran? I, I got, it got a little dusty in the room. Uh-huh. I didn't like, I didn't sob, but I, you know, it's hard. It's hard not to think about, you know, all the people you've gone to Astros games with. And, you know, my father didn't live long enough unfortunately to see this i know he would have liked that so i was thinking about him a little bit but yeah. uh you covered the parade i did and it was exciting and it was crazy and there were over a million people there and it felt like there were over a million people there and i heard some of the most incredible stories so like you said about your father um there were people that i spoke to there in the crowd who um had you know parents who had been lifelong astros fans who couldn't make it to the parade so they did a shout out on air because the parents were watching the coverage which was really cool um because it was freaking hot out there it was hot it was loud it was obnoxious but the energy was so incredible i swear to you i've been i've covered a lot of really cool things super bowl included um this was amazing. It really brought Houston together. And I think with the crowd energy, with obviously what we've been through with Harvey, um, I hate to keep going back to that, but honestly, Houston came together then and they came together even stronger for this. So that was a once in a lifetime, really amazing, incredible experience. And I feel very lucky to have been out there uh, walking the streets with Altuve. He was right above me. Jose Altuve's waving, giving me little high fives. I'm trying to jump up. I was like, buddy, I'm short too. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> jump up and give you a little high five. So it was it was awesome. I mean, go Astros. Such a cool, cool time for Houston. Yeah, just a, a great time. And, and you're right. I mean, bringing the city together for something positive. It's just, it's so exciting. And, and you know, I... Someone was like, oh, I missed the parade. It's like, well, you know, there's always next year, right? Because Verlander's coming back. This and, is so true. You know, young players like uh, like Bregman and Correa, they're only going to get better. So and you sky's know, the limit. You know what was really cool about them? And I've watched this throughout this entire season is they're, they're a brotherhood. It's like such a camaraderie. And it reminds me of, you know, watching baseball or being a part of baseball in high school and college where people are out there to have a good time. And those boys, those guys, those men, they are out there to have a great time. And it really, really showed this year. Um, 
But I can also bring it back to food because I have to, I have oh, to give a quick little shout out to Minute Maid Park this year. I did a lot of coverage with um, their executive chef, Dominic Susi, and they actually really up the ante at the ballpark this year. It's not all peanuts and Cracker Jacks. They did some really amazing stuff, including like whole roasted pigs. So they did pulled pork tacos and sandwiches. Um, I was a guest in their Diamond Club. So if you guys have a chance to eat at Minute Maid Park next year, next season, um, it's it's really a good experience. And with Torchy's Tacos there. Um, they right, have, Shake Shack's there now. Isn't, is Killen's Barbecue? So Killen's Barbecue was there for the playoffs. I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if Ronnie's going to make that a permanent thing or not. Uh, we will ask Graham when he gets here. Perfect. Well, that's great. All right. Let's move on because we have major celebrity chef news Ooh. this week. Michael Mina, multiple James Porter winner. I mean, arguably one of the most acclaimed, well-known chefs in America, mm-hmm. is opening a restaurant in Houston. I'm excited about this. International Smoke. And... And it's not just uh, it's not just Michael Mina, it's Aisha Curry. I feel like you have strong opinions about Aisha Curry. I, you know, I I I like her. I really like her. And I think um, as far as cookbook celebrity chefs go, who her husband is, she's a cool chick. And I actually I'd really like to meet her. I want to I want to be a part of this whole thing. We need to get in there for the opening. Actually, well, we we certainly will be. Uh, I got the opportunity to speak to Michael for about. 20 minutes on Friday. That's what I was doing uh, during the parade. I kind of had it on in the background. But when Michael Mina says, I can talk to you at three o'clock on Friday, you say, yes, chef. Absolutely. You, yeah. <laughs> so I think what's interesting about this restaurant, International Smoke, and it's it's coming to City Center sometime in the spring of next year, is that it's a barbecue restaurant in a, in a kind of global sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we Texans get real particular about, you know, if you're cooking like over charcoal, Yep. That's grilling. That's not barbecuing. This is this is kind of a, a broader definition. Right. Um, inspired by his trips to Asia and the Middle East and noticing that just about every culture puts meat on a stick. We all have our forms of kebabs. Everybody loves meat oh. on a stick. And cooking with live fire. So everything from like, you know, fish cooked on a Japanese charcoal grill to mm-hmm. Chinese style chasu pork to Argentinian steak with chimichurri sauce. All of that is coming. And I said, okay, he said they do St. Louis style ribs. And then they also do like a Japanese rib with a miso glaze and a, a Jamaican rib. Of course, Aisha Curry has part of her She's heritage is Jamaican. Yeah. That girl is highly international. And I said, so you're not going to do Texas brisket, are you? And he went, no, 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 <laughs> we're going to leave that to you guys. That's not what this is about. So, you know, and I like. I don't like parking at City Center, but once I find parking, I mm-hmm. like City Center. City Center has really come alive in the last couple of years. But here's my question to you. This is a big celebrity collaboration. Do you think the quality is going to go down either, probably not at the start, but over time because it's big names in a in a local restaurant? Right. I mean, that is always the worry. And it is a problem that has plagued out-of-town chefs who open restaurants here and then don't stick around. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, or or don't find like a talented local to run the thing. But Michael Mina has restaurants in California mm-hmm. and Vegas and Florida and Chicago. So if anyone understands how to do this, he does. Mm-hmm. And he has not ties to Houston necessarily, but he has a relationship with Houston. He's come here a lot over the years. He was here for the Super Bowl. That's mm-hmm. what he told me was sort of the final straw that was like, I've got to be here. 
and he struck up a friendship with Hugo Ortega. And right now he has a he has a restaurant in San Francisco called the Mina Test Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And every they bring in a different pop up every three months. That's how International Smoke got started. Well, right now he's working with Hugo Ortega on that pop up. See, you can't go wrong there. That is a match made in heaven. Anyone with Hugo Ortega, you're gonna yeah. get there. So, so I think he has some respect for the city. I think he has an appreciation. You know, he's not, uh, you know, very famously uh, another California chef said he was opening in Houston because they were starved for good food down there. Hmm. Uh, I think Michael Mina understands that we have a lot of great restaurants and that he's going to have to come in and really step his game, like come in at, at full force if he's going to make a There's a lot market. of pressure there. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, the California location, the San Francisco location of International Smoke opens um, Monday, November 13th. So like right around the corner. And then once those pictures come back, those reviews come back, mm-hmm. we'll start to get a sense of what we're in for. It also means I'll have some time to tweak things before it opens here. So I'm optimistic, especially after speaking with him. Well, that's good. That's really good to hear. And again, anytime you say meat on a stick, I'm interested. So that one is something I will definitely be looking forward to. All right. And then I think this may be a little bit obscure, but, but I have a deep affection for kind of neighborhood restaurants that have made a go of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pappy's on I-10. This is a memorial area institution. Uh, for chicken fried steak, for chicken strips, for blackened catfish, for mm-hmm. some Tex-Mex stuff. It's, it's been on I-10, like at Campbell Road, for almost 35 years. Yep. They announced last week they are moving to Derry Ashford and I-10. And I, I note this because the, the pushback in the comment section, both on Facebook and on Culture Map itself, was that people are nervous about this, that they... They like going there because it's close to where they live and they don't want to drive five miles west. Stephanie, like, what are the, as a diner, mm-hmm. like, what are the, what are the circumstances under which, like, how good does a restaurant have to be where if it picked up and moved five miles away, you would keep going there? Well, it depends because Houston traffic is pretty bad and we also have a lot of great restaurants to choose from. So five miles can mean an extra, you know, 20 minutes to an hour sometimes here in Houston, right? Right. But if you've been going there your entire life and if you have, uh, strong ties, like maybe your grandparents took you there. If it were me personally, I'd probably give it a go. And if it really disappointed and they were attracting a different crowd and, and the whole place lost its feel, then I, I would probably look for a different local. Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, you know, if you're a Hedwig Village type or, a, you know, a Spring Brancher and you're thinking, oh, you know, crossing the Beltway, that's too far. But, you know, maybe you live in the Energy Corridor, or maybe you live out in Katy. You don't want to drive all the way almost to 610 to go to Pappy's. You know, so I it's that weird balance where maybe they'll they'll lose some customers, but maybe they'll gain a few more. That's true. And I also think, because um, I read, you know, I read the portion that you sent to me about it where they can continue to grow and go on for a lot longer. So this is the better alternative to them shutting their doors. And it's also, if they're keeping their staff, People like familiarity. So, um, I mean, if you really love a waitress that you've had for a long time, it, that might be a strong enough tie to go five miles down the road, especially if it's more of a weekend place. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a, it's a casual weeknight dinner spot. It's, it's, a, it's very busy with families on the weekends. This gives them more room, so mm-hmm. shorter waits. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the staff is coming with them. So that, there is something to be said for that. I mean, you know, we go to restaurants for the food, of course, but also for the service and the experience. And so that server that knows, 
you know, to bring you a cold Shiner Bach as soon as you sit down or, uh, or I guess in the case of this show, a, a refreshing Eighth Wonder, mm-hmm. our beloved sponsor. Delicious. Uh, you know, that, that knows what you like and, and doesn't have to ask, like, do you want the gravy on the side? She already knows you yeah. want the gravy on the side. That's worth five miles right there. Yeah, I think that's worth <laughs> a little something. I'll have to agree. All I- right. And then, so that's, that's news about a restaurant moving. Let's talk about a restaurant that's not moving. Uh, Brasserie 19, the River Oaks CNBC Institution you know, we do a lot of coverage of charity events over Culture Map with, you know, the movers and shakers and the bold-faced names. Brasserie mm-hmm. 19 has kind of been their clubhouse since it opened in 2010. And part of the shopping center that it occupies is about to be torn down and replaced with a 30-something story high-rise. And so rumors were flying around. It's going to move. The, the company, Clark Cooper Concepts, also owns... Salter Seafood Kitchen, which just closed. Mm-hmm. I, I heard from a, a well-connected restaurant industry source like, oh, they're going to move B19 to Salter Seafood Kitchen. No, it's not, it's not going anywhere. So you have good news for us here. I have good news. For Brasserie 19 fans, your restaurant is not moving. And even more importantly, there's a plan in place to mitigate the effects of the construction. They're not going to cut off your access to West Gray. Oh, they're going to build a good. giant wall around the the construction so that the debris and the noise and all that doesn't really filter into the dining room. Uh, and so Grant Cooper, the one of the owners of Brasserie 19, reached out to to me and, and was like, you, I just want to put these rumors to rest. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think this is like, you know, for hardcore culture map readers, this is definitely one of their favorite restaurants. Uh, Stephanie, I... You you admitted to me you have not been to Brasserie 19. I feel like I'm missing out. And, you know, I don't... I don't know. Maybe I need to go see and be seen and also try the food because I'm guessing you wouldn't be talking about it if the food wasn't good. You know, it's it is definitely more about the scene than the food for Mm -hmm. me. But I do have a deep affection there. You know, they pioneered uh, Clark Cooper Concepts, pioneered these like retail style wine markups. You know, it's a very lively atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for an inexpensive bottle of good champagne. Hey, all day, uh, every day, right there. A dozen <laughs> oysters followed by a steak frites. I mean, absolutely. There's yeah. always a place for that, and um, that's now that you have good news that they're not moving. I need to, you know, get in there while. Yeah, round there, up right? a group of girls and and you know, sit in the windows and and check it out. And yeah. see and be seen, right? Yes. Be okay. Seen. Be seen at B nineteen. <laughs> uh, and then one more item for our news of the week. Are are you an Uber Eats person? I've done it once or twice, but I can never decide what I freaking want when I'm looking through all the choices. So I usually end up at Chick-fil-A because it's right down the street. So yeah, not, not it's really. a little bit sad. I know. It's really sad. Really I mean, sad. My, my problem with Uber Eats is that it's kind of like a cover version, right? Like you can, of a restaurant's food, right? Like you can, you can sing all the notes and, and, mm-hmm. and play all the notes with a guitar, but like, it doesn't make you you too, right? Totally like there's true. just something about the experience of being there, of those guys playing those notes that's different than a cover band playing those notes. And it's the same thing with Uber Eats, right? Like you will not get, it's not the same quality of experience delivered with a driver who may or may not know how to get to your house, no right. matter what the app takes them and who knows when it's ready versus when they pick it up, right? You're, you're, you're taking a step down in quality for a, a big step up in convenience. Um, but DR Delicacy is getting in on this. They are 
a supplier of truffles and caviar to restaurants all over the city. If you've noticed more truffles and more caviar at Houston restaurants over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm, DR Delicacy has a big part of that. And so they are now on Uber Eats. I I like this concept. I think it's pretty cool, especially if you're looking to impress someone. However, I don't think I'll be using it because I mean, I just told you I'm a Chick-fil-A girl. I like meat on a stick. Are you are you going to use this? Would you You know, I think there there again, like I do think there is the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I if I were, you know, if I were entertaining someone who I knew would appreciate it. Yep. I am not above ordering a little caviar because I, I like caviar. Or some duck foie gras torchon. Yeah. How or Yeah, duck foie gras torchon. <laughs> uh, there's, there's pasta. There's all kinds of ravioli. It looks good. Making pasta and ordering black truffle to go along with uh-huh. it and shaving that truffle like right when the pasta hits the table. I mean, that is a baller move. That is guaranteed to impress. Yeah, that is an impressive move for sure. So you think if you actually get this supplied to your house rather than going to the store and buying, you're you're not upping your cost too much from just going to specs if you're already preparing food? So that is the question. I, I have to admit, I am not a regular purchaser of caviar or black truffle. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how this breaks down versus obviously specs carries Specs certainly carries caviar. Central Market certainly carries caviar and truffles in season. They're not cheap. Uh, I will say two ounces. I think you get a you can get a two ounce truffle for forty bucks from Dr. Delicacy. Yep. that seems pretty reasonable. Uh, you will typically pay twenty five thirty dollars to have black truffle shaved on a dish at a at a restaurant around town, mm-hmm. and that is not two ounces. It's a lot. It's a lot more than that. Right. So from that stance, you are definitely saving some money. Okay, so here's my question with that then. Do you get an Uber driver in like a limo with a cap and everything? A little butler? No, you, you should, right? Uh, but no, it's going gonna, it's gonna <laughs> to show up in the same Hyundai that every, every other uh, yeah, yeah. Uber We're... delivery shows up. But don't, you know, order this stuff in advance, right? Like don't, don't order it when you're waiting on it because it always takes longer than you think it's going to. So again, great for Christmas parties, entertainment, a little bougie bougie something or as a gift. Yeah, it's great as a gift, right? Who wouldn't like to, you know, answer the door and, you know, here's here's an ounce of sturgeon caviar and the blini to go with it. Okay, I'm I'm going to wait for that gift from you, Eric, once this comes out. I will be waiting for my uh, bellini and sturgeon. All right, very good. Uh, that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with the restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? All right, so for the restaurants of the week, I'm going to do something a little bit off the board. I'm going to talk about two restaurants in Dallas that I tried this weekend when I went there for my nephew's birthday party because they were kind of bonkers, and I kind of want them both in Houston. All right, let's hear it. All right, so the first is Town Hearth, which is the steakhouse. If you follow me on social media, you would have seen this on my Instagram stories. This is a there's a Dallas restaurant called Neighborhood Services. It's uh-huh. pretty well known. It's uh, it's like a kind of fancier Houston's. Okay. Right? Steaks, salads, chops, burgers. Mm-hmm. Good for a weeknight. Good for a date night. Like very flexible. Okay. So Town Hearth is that company's steakhouse. Stephanie, it is utterly bonkers. 
There is a 300-gallon fish tank with a bright yellow submarine in it. What? There are 60-something chandeliers from the ceiling. There is a giant hearth, a wood-fired grill and oven that they use to cook the steaks. Okay. There's an MG convertible roadster at the pass. So, like, if you're sitting in the dining room watching them cook your food, you look at so it's uh, like a, museum a British sports or... car. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really bonkers, anglophilic... I mean, there's no restaurant in Houston that's decorated this way. Okay, so a lot of times when restaurants do that, it's to distract you of the crap quality of their food, right? Yes, that is true. That is the uh, Bennigan's theory of restaurant uh-huh. decor. Uh, to Town Horse credit, the food was really incredible. Uh, I like when steakhouses list the ranches their meat comes from. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? This is, this is something that Ronnie Killen does here in Houston, for example. You can get, you know, a 44 farm steak or you can mm-hmm. get... A Creekstone Ranch, or you can get, you know, and it's all laid out on the menu. And so even if you haven't heard of that ranch, you feel like you could look it up and decide for yourself whether that beef is being raised the right way or if it's hormone-free or, or whatever. Yeah. And so Town Hearth does that. They had, I noticed, uh, three or four ranches on the menu. The beef is dry-aged, which I love because mm-hmm. it really concentrates that flavor. It gets that, like, slightly nutty quality. Yep. I just think that's really appealing. And then like the sides are just fun, right? It's it's in some sense, you know, what separates one steakhouse from the other sides and service. So they're doing some classic stuff, right? Cream spinach yep. or new classic like roasted Brussels sprouts. Uh, but they also did, uh, they also did a lotus, right? Okay. Mexican style yep. street corn with a little cheese on top. I was super into that. And then the thing that I didn't get because neither my sister nor her husband eat shellfish was... Freshly fried tater tots, Oscar style, which means topped with lump crab and bernays. Yum. That sounds awesome. See, like, that sounds like a reason good enough to go to a steakhouse, right? That sounds really... And you know it's going to be done well if it's at a steakhouse. It'll, it'll be a, not just yeah. a trashy little greasy... No, no. This place, and this place was big. It was loud. Everybody was dressed up. They were taking pictures, obviously, selfies in front of the submarine. Did you get one? I did not. Ah, I should have. I you know. Totally should have. You I need whiffed. to go back there just to. I have to go get back. We have to go to Dallas. Yes. And yeah, we'll get the tater tots. We'll get the tater tots. What's happening? So, and then the other restaurant um, that I think might actually have a shot at coming to Houston is uh, Zoli's New York Pizzeria. This is the, you know, Cane Rosso, we know as the Neapolitan style, very authentic uh, pizza place that's evolved a little bit. The Houston version now has some. Some pastas and some mains that are a little less traditional, but the, the pizza is very rigorously authentic. Zoli's is their New York pizza restaurant. Uh, it just reopened in Dallas, and it is, it's just fun. I just, I like, when, when, when mm-hmm. I say I want to go out for pizza, I mean like New York pizza, right? Yep. Like big round pies with kind of a doughy crust. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we got, you know, Double pepperoni topped with jalapeno pesto. Why am I always so hungry when I come here? I uh, make I a mistake of not eating before I come here. It's, this is it's a dangerous aspect of listening to the show if uh-huh. you are hungry. And then we got a pie with uh, like a like a sausage bolognese sauce on it. Even the cheese was good. So I'm just going to put in a plug. Uh, Jay Jarrier, the owner of Connie Rosso, if you're listening to this, we need Zoli's in Houston real, real bad. Uh, I know you just opened the one in Dallas, but... Uh, let's sign a lease and bring it south, buddy. Come bring on. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. And then, Stephanie, I know that you tried a new restaurant that's almost as far away as, as Dallas. Dallas. 
You are so right. Okay, so this is a new restaurant for me, but this has been a family-run business for years and years and years. So it's actually called Pete's Burger Place out in Porter, Texas. Now, if you guys don't know where Porter, Texas is, it's going to be north past Umble, um, off of like 1314, Loop 1314. That sounds right, yeah. Farm to Mark, 59 FM, and FM, FM 1314. 1314. Right. I, I got this. All right, so my boyfriend actually lives out this way, and he's been going to this place since he was tiny. And it is one of those places that I remember going to, you know, those old school diners growing up back in like the 80s where you just had the best greasy burger of your life. Um, it's like a charbroiled burger. So I had the mushroom Swiss burger. They asked me if I wanted to add bacon. I would never say no to that. So on the side of that, I got chili cheese fries. And I can't tell you the last time I had like a buttery bun with melted Swiss cheese, real mushrooms. I mean, this it was fantastic, and it was so big. I'm I'm a big eater. You see me eat. I, I am not shy. No. Right. So I ended up finishing about half of this burger. Um, the chili cheese fries, probably I don't know, three quarters chili cheese fries. That was so freaking good that I woke up the next morning, six o'clock in the morning, drove myself back here to Houston because I had to work. I heated up that burger at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I had that for breakfast, and I'm still thinking about it. So if you haven't been to Pete's Burger Place out in Porter, it's worth a drive. It definitely is. Especially if you're up in Kingwood or up in Humble, you're looking for something a little different. This would be like a 15, 20-minute drive instead of like an hour drive. Yeah, yeah and an hour is worth – I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back burger. after this show. All I wonder right. if Uber Eats will bring it to us. Yeah, that's, huh? that's the next <laughs> it revolution. Might be, it Caviar might be a couple hundred Pete's dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but that was delicious, so – can't stop thinking about that one. All right. Good good tip. Mm-hmm. All right. That does it for our Restaurants of the Week. We will be right back with Graham Laborde. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by our friends at Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find Eighth Wonder on Tap Walls and on store shelves all over the city. But there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston, and there's really no place better to go before a game than 8th Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry-hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their... Side Hustle, which is a barrel-aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about going to 8th Wonders Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles. John, Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident. I don't know. But definitely check out Eighth Wonder. Have a beer. Have a bite from the YouTube boys. And enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to Eighth Wonder. And here is our interview of the week. So we're here today with Graham Laborde. Graham, are you the operations manager for Killen's Restaurants? What is your title? The title morphs a lot. I <laughs> think um. I've gone with director of operations lately, uh, but the title and the job kind of take different, wear different hats depending on what day it is. And and depending on, so if I called you Ronnie Killen's right-hand guy, is that like a pretty safe 
Ronnie Killen's Girl Friday. Is that like a pretty safe description? Girl Friday, I love it. <laughs> I think that's actually pretty safe. Um, you know, I think Ronnie definitely um, has a very heavy hand in everything that he does because, you know, he's the only person that's ever um, had the, you know, the vision that he has with everybody. And what's been amazing about this job is seeing the kind of longevity that his employees have i mean Mm -hmm. the restaurant industry is something that you have so much turnover in and for him it's no surprise to have 10 year 11 year 12 year guys on his staff and so i've come in and been the newest addition to the team and had to you know learn very very quickly but he's given me a lot of room to run um and kind of make mistakes and and learn and and a lot of trust more trust than i ever would have expected uh, and I think part of the reason that you've you've been granted some of that is you have a you have a pretty impressive pedigree. Let me just let me ask you just straight up how does a how does a lawyer's son from Louisiana wind up as a as a chef in Houston, Texas? I'm not that good at school. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. Um, either no, my my fiance and I joke about it a lot, but uh, college. Uh, so I went to I started college at Georgetown. And Georgetown was the first place I ever got where the bullshit didn't work anymore. Yeah, you suddenly, <laughs> you mean suddenly you weren't the smartest kid in the class anymore? Yeah, well, I mean, not even that. I just couldn't pull the wool over the teacher's eyes. And, uh, and then when it push came to shove, I'd rather be making something, doing something with my hands. I mean, I like to think that if my son ever wanted to be a chef or my daughter ever wanted to be a chef... I'd probably tell him no because mm-hmm. it's a really hard road to hoe to be successful. And I mean, obviously, closing two restaurants in the last year. There's we're, an- we're getting to that, but uh- <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, it's it's something I really enjoy. I like making things. And um, when did you start cooking or being a chef or playing with food with your hands? I don't know. Uh, you know. When you come from South Louisiana, especially like the, the the family that I grew up in, cooking is a family affair. It's an everyone, all hands on mm-hmm. project. Uh, corn's in season. You're, my grandmother's coming back with a Crown Victoria loaded with nine cases of corn in the back, one for each of her children, and we're cutting corn for three days uh, and freezing it. She wasn't a pickling, preserving uh-huh. kind of person, but everything was a like a whole grand production. So it was, uh, you know. You're in the kitchen whether you want to be or not just because you're helping. And I loved it. So, you know, there's, there's, I like to say that my kind of formation as a chef comes from my grandmothers on both sides. On one side, my grandmother had 36 grandchildren, nine children. That was, she was a utilitarian cook. She was, she could have, you know, Is fed it? armies mm-hmm. and then did. Uh, and on the other side, my grandmother, had kind of more finesse and dinner was a, a huge to do and uh, that's where you learn what a snail fork is and mm-hmm. and uh, so you had the best of both worlds crab rimmick yeah absolutely and then you worked in New Orleans for a little while were you you worked for uh, Scott Conant right and uh, not Scott Conant uh, Scott Boswell Scott Boswell thank you and um, uh, and you did a stint at Commanders I think every chef in New Orleans has to do it. Every chef in New Orleans should do a stint at Commanders. I mean, you really learn what it's like to prepare for battle when you've got 1300 on the books for brunch and it's mm. just a regular Saturday or Sunday. 
you make enough uh, bread pudding souffles to never want to make one again. Yep. Um, Do you? Have you? No, never have. <laughs> never would want no to. Mind. Wouldn't order it. I go, I'll get the pecan pie every time. <laughs> um, and then I think you, you came to my attention uh, when you signed up with the Treadset Group to open Bernadine's. I, I feel like that's a sad story that we're not going to get into the details of today. Obviously, it was one of my favorite restaurants. It was a place that I, we, we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about uh, things you do to impress people. Uh, I took any number of dates there trying to impress them at Bernadine's. And for the most part, it worked very well for me. Excellent. You didn't need the uh, Uber Eats. I didn't need you to Uber to Eats caviar. I just took them to Bernadine's and let Graham, <laughs> and let Graham do the cooking. That's, that's usually my go-to. Um, but obviously, that restaurant came to an end. You had choices, I assume. Uh, you, you had opportunities at various Houston restaurants. You could have opened your own place. What was it about working for Ronnie that made it seem like the right fit? I think there were a couple things. One, Ronnie was incredibly patient with me. Uh, I didn't want to leave. For me, it was really important to, to ride it out and finish um, and get some closure out of that restaurant rather than just leaving. Um, and Ronnie was totally understood that and was very supportive of that. So there was that. But also he offered me something that, that didn't necessarily exist in a number of other offers that I had. And that was the ability to really, really learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is not learn something or developing your craft as a chef, but learning the, the business side of things. I mean, there's a couple of things about Ronnie that you don't necessarily know right off the bat. And one is his just natural gut instinct for making really good rec- excuse me, really good restaurant decisions. Mm-hmm. I actually referred to him as a Jedi the other day <laughs> just because, I mean, he pegged exactly how much in sales we'd do outside of Minute Maid Park mm-hmm. on a sunny day. And, I mean, that's a tough number to peg. I had, done, I had worked every single game for the playoffs, and he came in and said, we're going to do this today, and he was on it within 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, uh, so he, he offered that, but then also the um the ability to learn different kinds of concepts that i hadn't done in the past mm-hmm. i've never done a fast casual concept i've never done a burger restaurant um never done barbecue before so it's not only learning those cuisines that's important but really learning how to run those different businesses and all the different um challenges that come with it well and you you stepped into the steakhouse at a time of transition uh joe cervantes had been Mm. The chef there for a while, he went to go take over Brennan's. Uh, certainly, like one of those, like, you know, kind of A plus jobs, I think. I think, and he had worked at Brennan's, and so it kind of made sense for him. Um, so, what's it like, like, kind of stepping into a restaurant that's like so well known and so well regarded and kind of keeping things going and, and putting your own spin on it? Well, I think what you do in the first few weeks is, is, hit the ground running as much as you can because nobody really wants to see you kind of limp into something. Um, and that's, that's how you garner the respect of the staff. But more importantly, I think you look at the menu of any kind of, you know, I would, I would say that Killens like Brennan's is, has become a, an institution. And so you look at the menu and say, okay, what, what can't I touch? Mm-hmm. Now the crab cake, I'm never going to touch the crab cake. Can I make a better crab cake than Ronnie Killen? I don't know. I, don't, it, Ooh, you know, I hear a crab cake off coming on. No, no, not, not at all. But I don't need to know. I mean, 
there's so much room on that menu for. I mean, you have a steakhouse, so you have thirty-five um, percent of the menu you don't have to worry about as a chef because you're just sourcing steaks and cutting them up. And the, the stuff we get is incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. I take pictures of it and go Google it over it. But that's you know what you really want to do in order to maintain relevance, and it's something that we definitely like drill into our staff uh, is make the rest of the menu interesting. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, a lot of times it steps on the toes of people that you care about, your regulars, people who come in there day in, day out, who've supported mm-hmm. you for years. They're like, well, I only come here for this dish. And you have to listen to that as a chef and you know, acquiesce when you can. But at the same time, you have to stay relevant as a restaurant or you'll die. All right, so what did you take off the menu that... that- garnered the most pushback nothing really i mean i know that's kind of a lame answer but the the fact of the matter is people like in the restaurant are hungry for change Mm -hmm. on a regular basis we the the one of the biggest struggles as a chef is to slow your roll to throttle back on how much you're changing because you don't realize that if you know you have a restaurant like killens which is kind of more of a occasion special occasion restaurant that people aren't coming necessarily once a week mm-hmm. once every other week three times a month three times a quarter they're coming once every six months for birthdays and anniversaries so when you have that people don't necessarily mentally associate with anything other than this is the time you know their last visit it's not, they don't react to the passage of time mm-hmm. in the same way so when you've changed 15 times the menu, like complete overhaul, and then somebody comes in and six months later, it's a completely different restaurant. You can't do that to people. So um, the staff was hungry and wanted a lot of change. And what we did was we immediately got away from some of the salads, uh, you know, the beefsteak tomato snacks that mm-hmm. are 1998 on a plate with blue yeah, cheese. I love that, 1998 on a plate. Yeah, we got rid of that um, and went – because – Tomatoes weren't in season. It was it was simple. We were running gumbo, and like gumbo was out of season. Yeah, not in July, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you know, a lot of those those uh, changes became natural, easy fixes, uh, and then we just put the dishes on that were flavor forward, seasonal. I mean, just easy, for lack of a better word, easy stuff, but stuff that we make look easy. I think people trust Killen's as well. So as a name, I trust anything Ronnie Killen has in any of his restaurants on the menu. And I also trust that I could go to any of the servers, even if it's at the burger joint, and say, tell me you know, what the best thing is or tell me about this, what to expect. And uh, it may be not so hard to change, but it, it could be a little bit easier for you, perhaps, because there is that trust from the clientele. Did you find that? Absolutely. Um, you know, it was really funny. The first four games we did outside of the uh, outside of the Astros game, outside of the playoffs, we didn't have a menu, mm-hmm. and people stood in line for 15, 20 minutes just because the Killens yep. name was on the tent, and uh, you know that kind of brand success, you just yeah. can't you pay serve for that. it, it's going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, one restaurant where maybe you've had a little more room to play because it's not quite so well established is Killens STQ. What what has that experience been like, and what's it been like working with Teddy Lopez, the chef de cuisine there? Teddy is amazingly talented. Um, 
and he'll remind me that I said that. But I hope he does. I love Teddy too. If you're listening, Teddy, is, Teddy uh, you got Teddy, some fans. Teddy can really cook, and so and Chris and Lewis, not nothing against them. They can really cook too. But I give Teddy more uh, more room to run because he's been there longer. He's done it with so many different chefs around town. So Teddy and I kick ideas around a lot, and then Teddy will execute them. I mm-hmm. mean, I very. I will piecemeal a recipe together and then send it to Teddy and he'll have a finished product by, you know, Tuesday mm-hmm. or Wednesday at noon. Um, but he can, uh, he can really impress you with just um, his attention to flavor. I think Teddy, like me, um, is still, like, learning. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. And then we both recognize that, that sometimes your, your biggest strength as a chef is your ability to edit yourself. Like, just because it can be on the plate doesn't mean it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so having somebody that you can talk to food about, talk with about food like that, and Teddy, and I get that from Ronnie all the time. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, like, what's, like, you rolled out a lunch menu at Killen's SDQ mm-hmm. within the last month. Like, what was that process like with you and Ronnie and Teddy? How did, how did that come together? So, basically, we decided... Uh, collectively that we wanted to give lunch a go. I mean, SEQ is so small. Um, only really 60 diners a night, sometimes 90 if you're pushing it on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on a weeknight when you have no one who wants to eat before 5 and no one who wants to eat after 9, there's there's a sweet spot there. So we wanted to do two things. One, you know, really kind of push to see what we could do within the – the concept of STQ, and that doesn't necessarily just mean lunch. That means, you know, if STQ expands to a new location or we build another one or it gets bigger, um, what do we want? Do, we don't want to just, you know, play a medley of our hit. We want to um, kind of branch out and try new things. And lunch just seemed really natural. And plus it's, you know, a hybrid of barbecue and steak, but mm-hmm. really – the influence of smoke in that menu is what makes that place truly special. So we, we ran with that. Um, and then we just kind of had fun making fat kid food. Stephanie, I, I, know, I, know you're, <laughs> I know you're an STQ fan. Huge STQ fan. Have you tried the lunch yet? I haven't. And again, I'm still starving, Eric. This is killing me. Um, I, I really need to get in there. I Truly. do. But I, I was there for dinner the other night. I should have asked for a lunch menu. Yeah. What did you, what did you have for dinner? Just out of Okay. So Ronnie knew I was coming in. And so Teddy had sent over, um, of course, the pork belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sent over the um, short rib ravioli and then the tuna tacos. So those were our appetizers. For dinner, we we kind of did a half and half because uh, I knew I'm just always so full leaving there, right? So I knew the food was just coming in heaps. So we did the lobster and we did the 10-ounce filet. So we did that sort of half and half. Oh, my gosh. It, every time it is like this is the best meal I've ever had. And um, we kind of finished that off with the macaroni and cheese, which was freaking delicious. So I didn't have room for dessert. For the first time, I was like, please do not bring me any dessert, you guys. I mean, three apps and two mains and, and very gooey mac and cheese. Uh, that's a pretty so good. And a bottle a and meal. a half of wine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I will say, it's if you, you got to go for lunch just for the burger. Oh, gosh. Which 
Maybe I need to. the best burger I've tried in Houston in a long time. And that's what, a big deal. What's in the burger? Because I, I just I have to get nerdy with this. So Ronnie's litmus test of any restaurant is the French onion soup. It's his go-to. He uh-huh. will try it everywhere he goes. And as such, French onion soup in any variety never comes off our menu. That's one of those things you don't you don't mess with. That's a, a Ronnie Killen staple. Mm-hmm. And so the, the burger was totally teddy. Uh, he took the onions from the French onion soup and threw them in a pan and super reduced it. So it's almost a, a super quick demi-glace with onion, like caramelized onions in it. Mm-hmm. And then, so that goes on top of the grilled burger, which has a touch of dry age, but not enough to be as funky as the one at the steakhouse. Um, mostly because we didn't want to make it another $26 burger. Right. This is a $15 burger, by the way. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a cheap proposition, but it's... But you don't want cheap when you, I mean, it's Not when you go to Killen's it. STQ. No, yeah, yeah. it is worth it. Um, and then uh, just a thin slice of Gruyere over the top really kind of get, adds to the funk. Um, and uh, it's a cake and bacon bun. And that's, that's it. We did a, an everything um, bagel spice mix on top of the bun. Yum. Which I thought was fun. And I'm not a huge pretzel bun fan, which is what it was supposed to be originally. We went back to kind of something that's softer, but I was able to stand up to, you know, obviously the ooey gooey juicy mess you're about to have to tilt your elbows out. You to guys, eat. This is this is getting out of control here. I, you guys are going to hear no more voice. It's just going to be all stomach just rumbling. Stomach rumbling, yeah. <laughs> and then lunch, we do barbecue fries instead of uh, regular fries. What are barbecue fries? So. Ronnie's got a, a proprietary spice blend that you can actually buy in HEB and mm-hmm. Bucky's. I yep. saw it at Bucky's uh, on my recent road trip. I love it. I want to sell it everywhere. Um, but so we we do that, but there's a little bit of sugar in that, so we pull the sugar out because um, sugar on French fries is weird. Uh-uh. And uh, we make a garlic butter, so it's just confit garlic and a ton of butter. And then we squirt the butter on the fries and then toss in the barbecue rub right out of the fire. Stop it. So, I mean, they're. (laughs) You can. Sounds uh, awesome. And then the one other of Ronnie's restaurants I want to talk to you about is the Burger Place, because he came on a a very early version of this podcast and said that of all of them has been the hardest to kind of get his hands around. Are you happy with how much, how involved have you been in the Burger Place and are you happy with where it's at? I was. And more importantly, is Ronnie happy? I think we want to see more out of the burger restaurant in terms of like uh, straight return on the investment, but um, it's good. I was there at eight o'clock this morning hanging a TV. I've done a lot to streamline sort of the process of going to the burger restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to play with Ronnie's vision, which is the nostalgia of like a 1950s, really well done burger restaurant, but also add some 2017 technology into it. Mm-hmm. So I pulled down the old pegboard menu, which was really hard to read and had a lot of stuff on it, kind of trimmed the menu down by about 20%, um, took off some things that just weren't moving and um, added a Killen's Double, which is a 10 ounce double cheeseburger, no frills, thin patties. It's really tasty. But Ronnie, the way he likes to eat a hamburger is, you know, where you can really taste the meat. And mm-hmm. this one does that a lot of justice to that. So we streamlined the menu. We've kind of like um, narrowed it down. And when we 
perfected and tweaked a lot of the things that we were doing. And so what we'll do moving forward is starting this month, uh, we have burger of the month specials, um, which I'll come up with. Ronnie's come up with one or two, and then we'll run two of those per month and, uh, and see how they go. And if they, you know, sell really well, they'll find their way to the regular menu or they'll just be a seasonal thing. We did, uh, I did a hatch green chili burger, which I like Yum. to think is kind of like the water burger one, but on steroids. So, I mean, I got the soup, the hottest version of the hatch chilies that you can get. Yep. And obviously that's something that we celebrate in Houston, um, a ton. And then some really spicy habanero cheese. So it, it, it has that kind of like really warm, like, Real resonant kick. heat, mm-hmm. which I mean, you know, for a seven dollar cheeseburger, it's pretty great. Well, and and the switch to all Snake River Farms beef, right? It's it's juicier, it's fattier, it's more richly flavored. I mean, that's got to make it, and and it's a good value in a seven dollar hamburger. I mean, it's a great oh, yeah. value that we do the Snake River all Wagyu burger for eight bucks. Yeah, um, you can barely get out of Whataburger for eight bucks. You can't. Get I mean, Whataburger for eight bucks. That's that's crazy. <laughs> Not the way I order. No. no. <laughs> um, you know, burgers are really important. Not just you can have Wagyu, but if you're cooking the crap out of it, all the fat will run out, and then it doesn't matter what you're eating. Once it's ground, you've separated meat and fat into like different grain, and then if you're not blending it back correctly and mixing it correctly. You just have to watch it. I taste the burger blend almost every day. Mm. Um, Ronnie, when he's there, tastes it every single time. It's really important for us that that be right because otherwise there's no point in using belly and shoulder and plate mm-hmm. and brisket and grinding all those things up and assembling our own blend. It's, it wouldn't matter. If you're just going to get you know, a cross-section of like half-fat, half beef, no one wants that. So yeah. it's you know, attention to detail is what really um, was always there. And that was the the really strong foundation that we had. And then, you know, you've got Ronnie's brother running the place who has a was a football coach for 34 years mm-hmm. and has a personality larger than life. I mean, yeah. he yells at you like he's calling you in from the sidelines to get your burger. Mostly because I haven't fixed the little buzzers yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the burger place, I, I'm less and less <coughs> flummoxed by it because it just seems... Like, it should be busier than it is. I mean, it's really good. Um, but we'll see what, you know, these changes are doing. And I, th- I imagine them to be slow. I've looked into third-party ordering. But I want to make sure, and Ronnie really wants to make sure, that it's something that we can guarantee the quality of a product when it's delivered to your door. Because, like you said, you mentioned the Killens brand and, and the expectation that mm-hmm. it's going to be good. And, you know, when somebody's tossing it around in the front seat of their car 20 minutes before it gets to your door, that's a risk I'm not sure Absolutely. I want to take yet. Yeah, no, we were we were talking about that earlier. I, I call Uber Eats like the, the cover version of a, of a restaurant's food. It's it's never as good as the real thing. Mm-hmm. Mala's pretty close. <laughs> Mala, Mala is like one of the, the exceptions for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, my, uh, my fiancé loves pretty much anything Szechuan. And so we just tried Spicy Girl, we do Mala, we do um, Pepper Twins, mm-hmm. admittedly, three times a month. And uh, two times it's Uber Eats. So you alluded to the, the possibility that Killen's SDQ could be a second location, could, be a, could grow. 
Ronnie, when he was on this show, talked about maybe opening a barbecue joint in Austin. Mm -hmm. I know he teased on social media the possibility of opening in the Woodlands. He's talked about a barbecue place in West Houston, either Katy or in Sugar Land. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what is the status of any of that? Uh, will Ronnie Killen open a new restaurant in 2018? And, and if so, do you have a, a guess about which brand it will be? Ooh. I have a guess about which brand. Well, not a guess. I know which brand I want it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the barbecue restaurant's success is, is something that I'm, I'm continuously in awe of. I mean, to see, I'm personally a kind of person that wouldn't stand in line for anything. And so to see the kind of uh, excitement of people who are standing in line waiting, and I mean, none of those free beer and all that stuff, and I'm so pumped to have them. I just, it continuously surprises me. Um, but I think that we all really want to do another one. I don't think, there's nothing definite on the line right now. Um, and you know, but Ronnie, you can tell, you can see it when he smiles, <laughs> he's got that itch. Uh, it's been a year. He always And I definitely, project, right? I definitely have the itch. So, um, you know, I, I, I love it. I love the rush of opening restaurants. I love the excitement of, of doing it. I want to do one with Ronnie, uh, because I think that, you know, like you said, and like we've talked about, I feel like we can do no wrong at this point, mm -hmm. but you know that there there's a lot of things that have to fall into place mm -hmm. to to make that happen but no there's nothing immediately going forward i mean i hope you're not hiding anything from us no 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 <laughs> we've, i'm not we've uh we've kicked the tires on a lot of stuff lately um and if i'm honest i know that there's a lot of fallout from the hurricane that's going to come mm -hmm. in the next few months so um we're we're kind of being patient uh, want to find the deal. I mean, Chef wants to find the deal that's right for him. And don't, nothing forced will ever work. So, um, And speaking of that real quick, you guys fed a lot of first responders during Harvey. Um, that did. That was pretty amazing. I mean, I, I'm always impressed by what Ronnie Killen does. Love him as a person. Love him as a friend. Love him as a chef. But And I know a lot of people did that. But he didn't have to. And no. he fed. Do you, do you know how many out in Pearland? I mean, I know... So, all told, I think it was 30,000 people. That's um, awesome. And we, free at the barbecue restaurant for like a week, right? Free at Burgers and free at barbecue. Burgers was a week and a half and barbecue was a week. That's pretty um, amazing. He, I don't know. I texted him immediately after the last shipment of meals came out of the steakhouse, mm -hmm. which was another thing that we did. We we sent... we prepared meals en masse at the steakhouse mm -hmm. and then shipped them out through the the collective in Midtown and a few other like direct to Dickinson. I mean, we dropped stuff off when we could. Uh, there were homeless shelters that we would uh, coordinate with. I mean, it was an all day deal of just texting mm -hmm. people you've never met before. Like, yep. Hey, what do you need? How many people? Uh, well, there's 500 of us in three hours. Okay. We'll see you there. Like we've mm -hmm. got it. Um, and, Total shout out to everybody on our team who kind of made that happen. Guys who put in all the extra hours to come in early before opening the steakhouse. Um, I know with some Pearland sense of was pretty devastated with Harvey as well. There's a lot of people who were affected, but they were still going to work and they were still helping, which I thought was pretty cool too. They were, and uh, it was. You know, we we were able to get Ronnie was able to get a lot of stuff donated mm -hmm. um, right off the bat. He said. 
what he needed and got it in and then we just started like chipping away i think we got 1500 pounds of chorizo sausage which i've got some pretty awesome. funny pictures of like when i was gonna say in. what do you do with 1500 pounds of chorizo <laughs> Dude, you, I you make a lot of breakfast time. i have yeah. no idea it, it was venezuelan chorizo which i'd never worked with before which is almost like just a fresh pork sausage that has been slightly cured so it's slightly tougher and it was all in casings which it was a lot of work but uh <laughs> but i mean we would make casserole after casserole after casserole i felt like my mother I was just, all right we're having chorizo and egg casserole and the next day we did uh your training and feeding the armies with grandma back in the day absolutely. came into fruition it came did into play. and then we got marble ranch donated 1500 pounds of ground beef and we ran the burger restaurant <laughs> off of that and then when we stopped that we made um taco casserole for a couple of homeless children i mean it was just it's awesome though yeah it it wasn't the most exciting thing, but it was always hot and it was always fresh. So we knew that. So you're working with Ronnie, but you had your own. I mean, you really had your own restaurant with Bernadine's. That was very much your vision. I mean, do you do you still want to own your own restaurant again? Is that something you aspire to? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, and I told that to Ronnie in our first interview, which was like three hours. I don't talk to anybody about food for three hours i mean we either both get hungry and go eat or we just i mean but picking his brain and he's he came at it in a very different way i mean ronnie worked in hotels for a long time um and then started young opening his own restaurants you know on his own dime and that's that's a leap as far as you know when you really have to uh to swallow the risk of, of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I told him when, when we sat down in our first interview that I wanted to do it, and he said, well, that's great. Uh, I encourage you to do it. I want every single person that ever works for me to be able to do that mm -hmm. and follow their dream. Um, and he meant it. I mean, that's, it's obvious that he meant it. I think, uh, I think I've got a little bit of time before that becomes a reality, but... But I'm, I'm learning so much right now. It doesn't, time's flying by. That's awesome. And it's awesome that you have the backing of Ronnie Killen. I think he, I mean, he's a great guy, obviously. I couldn't yeah. say enough about him, as you know. But it's cool to be able to learn and to grow with him and then to say, all right, well, when the time comes, I'm going to be able to take all of that and do an even better job. So it's pretty awesome. I yeah. can't wait to try your next restaurant because I missed out on Bernadine's. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I remember right after I started, I got a text from Joe Cervantes, who was just saying congratulations you're gonna love this job you're gonna love being oh, part wow. of this team and he's right. a sweetheart too yeah all right graham we've run way long but it wouldn't be what's eric eating if i didn't ask you to participate in the lightning round okay so five easy questions just say the first thing that comes to mind okay all right what's the first concert you ever went to whitney houston and mariah carey yes That's super embarrassing i love it 1994 high note who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Nolan Ryan. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? Double stack from Wendy's. Oh, square burgers. Where's your favorite place to get a taco? Gerardo's. That's a great answer. And what is the one Houston restaurant where you take out of towners? El Tiempo. Very good. Graham Laborde, thank you for 
coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, we can follow you on Instagram. Not that you use it very much. Scramble <laughs> board. Uh, and of course, all the Killens restaurants have all their own websites. But is there is there a KillensRestaurants.com? Is that is there like an umbrella website? There's RonnieKillen.com. Ronnie Killen has the umbrella. And then, mm. I mean, I think we have most of the domain names. Uh, so if you get close, you should should be just I'm gonna be guided out in to the right direction. The steakhouse to visit you soon. I still haven't been there. You got to go. You got to. This is ridiculous. Charter a Uber Black and make it happen. I will. Maryland's just not that far. No, it's, it's really fine. not. And for Killing Steakhouse, I mean, I know it's going to be worth it regardless. Right. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for having me. For coming back. Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie Gary TV on Instagram to keep up with all of your goings on. And oh, okay. Houston Life airs Monday through Friday at 1 o'clock on KPRC KPRC? Channel 2. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back next week with Robert Del Grande.